0: Hey guys, you know I've been trying to locate a machine monitoring system that is easy to install with minimal onboarding, right? I have to tell you, Amper Technologies reached out to me. Akshat, their founder, has been on the show before. He sent me two units to install on my CNCs under their 30-day pilot program. It's been nothing but easy peasy. Ryan snapped them on, we waited a few days to validate and collect the data, and away we go. Check them out at amper.xyz and look under products for their pilot program. Bam! Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders like we have here today, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Golner, and we're ready to have a great show. What's up, man? Hey, I'm glad to be back in the saddle again. I know you and Jason did a few episodes. I couldn't participate. Kind of felt... A little left out, not too left out. I hope your feelings weren't too hurt. Not at all. I did not cry. Good. But it feels good to be here at our headquarters in Rockford. I love coming in and seeing the team. I'm pumped about our new sound system that we're going to get yes. in a couple weeks. two weeks. We're going to be rocking this place out. It's going to be so much fun to get in here. And I'm not going to lie, we made a drink at the Boring Bar. Yes, and we And brought do. it into the recording. So we are having cocktails while we're recording this. So, um, And it's Friday afternoon, so why not? At uh, least it's just one. It is only one. Just to, loosen, just to loosen us up a little bit. Manufacturing is challenging. Sometimes, manufacturing is challenging. Sometimes Let, it drives you to drink. Yeah. So I'm super excited to get into this episode because the, the gentleman that we have here today is going to explain what I think from my interpretation of it. It's a new way. It's a new spin on machine shops. It's, it's a new idea, and I love new ideas.
1: It is definitely new. It's not something you see every day.
0: And I think successful people that differentiate themselves are the ones that get noticed and the ones that do become successful. So um, it's exciting to tell his story about where he plans on going with this new business model. But we're not going to tell it yet. We're not going to tell it yet. Because we
1: always start with some news, some good news, oh and my then god! some industry news. So you have some good news you wanted to talk about. Let's it. Oh, yeah, this yeah. week
0: we finally, finally got our AS9100 certificate. We actually have the certificate from the registrar. Super excited. You know, I I wrote a, a LinkedIn blog post about the experience because a lot of people think that it's just as easy as getting ISO 9001. And it was way harder. I'm telling you, it
1: was it's like ISO on steroids. It's it's that difficult. So what, what was the main difference in terms of the difficulty, the challenge in getting the AS and the ISO? Sure.
0: So there's a lot of things they want you to think about with risk. Risk in doing work with your vendors, risk in taking on jobs that might be a little too, too much for you, risk in making a profit. So it's a lot of risk. They also talk about counterfeit, working with counterfeit people, getting counterfeit materials, traceability, accountability, profits, losses, everything that you run a business is on steroids and you have to have objective evidence to prove that you are doing all those things.
2: Wow.
1: It's really great. So more about like the material certs than ISO, would you say? Oh, you
0: have to do a first article document your first article inspection on every single operation you do for that part, whether or not your customer wants first article at all. Wow! So every part that we make, every dimension on that part is balloon tagged and it's put into our ERP system, which is ProShop. And when the machinist measures that dimension, he has to verify it to the first article inspection report in the ERP. Every dimension is verified.
1: So, you mentioned ProShop. So, how does ProShop assist with this AS? AS 9100. AS 9100. aerospace okay. certification. So, how, how did your ERP system help you achieve the certification? How is it going to help you want, now that you have Tons, the cert- tons of ways. Let's and, hear And
0: I'll keep it brief. Okay, cool. But the big thing is the, the quality management system is housed in ProShop and it's facilitated through ProShop. And it's all paperless. I'm telling you, years ago when we had ISO, we must have had 10 binders with 10 reams of paper in it and you were always going through and you know making copies this is completely paperless everything that we showed the auditor was via a virtual screen wow just to show objective evidence it was awesome
1: well good and congratulations thanks uh, thanks
0: i'm i'm very happy i'm very happy
1: i but, saw your post on linkedin i saw thank the you. new little logo that you get with it so congrats thanks it will open new doors for you and that's one thing that's different we don't make fly parts you don't you do not make no. flight critical parts no we don't yeah. we we Aerospace companies are actually our biggest customers, but yeah. we build fixtures for them right. to make five parts. So right. so we don't have to go through the things that you have to go through being in an aerospace yeah. machining shop. So.
0: We have parts that are on the International Space Station right now. That is so cool. Awesome. Isn't that cool?
1: Yeah. So do you have any good industry news?
0: Well, I know we were talking about it just before we hit the record button, and during my weekly production meeting with my team at CAR... I was saying, you know, the Institute for Supply Chain Management always comes out and talks about the last month, and manufacturing is on fire. They said that they haven't seen numbers like this since 1983. Do you remember 1983? Were you born? Uh, I was born in 1987, so when I was negative four, <laughs> he, he doesn't remember it. He doesn't remember. it. No, I actually I do remember 1983. I was a young man working in my dad's shop very young, but an adult. And I do remember the ebbs and flows of recessionary times and good times.
1: Even me, like even before I yeah. was in the family business, I, I remember like the look on my dad's face when we were in recessions versus oh. when things were booming. It was stressed both times, but, but it's a different kind of stress. It yeah, is. Exactly. Totally. So yeah, manufacturing's
0: on fire. I feel good. I, I don't know anybody, like we were talking early, I don't know anybody that's slow.
1: Uh, I just got back from Ohio, so I was gone all week. We were on the phone a couple times. Right, every single shop we went to was booming. Yeah, I know it's great. From from huge like two hundred and fifty machines in the shop, companies yeah. down to the fifteen machine shops. Yeah, let let's hope we can maintain this. But they all have the same problem. What what do you think it is? Every single shop. What oh, do you think it is? It's labor. Yeah, they can't they can't find people to run the machines. It's labor. It's for <laughs> that's, sure. That's it, is.
0: it. Well, I got lucky. I just hired. Well, I made an offer to a machinist last night. So you're
1: you're that confident? He's already hired. In your oh, brain. I know,
0: I know. I why wouldn't he? Yeah. The benefits are <laughs> going to be
1: better at Car, right?
0: I love it. Yeah. So
1: no, it, it's all good, and things are rocking and rolling. So you what know? what did the news say? Because you 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 printed out the report. I think actually you emailed it to me. Right? Let me pull it up really quick. So. This is from NAM. So, the Institute for Supply Management reported that manufacturing activity expanded at the fastest pace since December 1983. I know. I wasn't lying, man. Wow. With data solidly higher across the board, new orders and production expanded at the best rate since January 2004, and hiring grew at the swiftest clip since February 2018. I know. One of our guests today has something to do with folks getting hired, so yeah. we'll, we'll, that'll be a little cliffhanger Anxious until we introduce that. him. Second point, yet manufacturers also note challenges with weather, supply chains, and rising costs. How much more is your steel cost than it used to be, Jim?
0: You know, I, everyone is complaining about rising steel costs, but I'm really not, because we don't buy like tons of materials. We do, like...
1: to make our chip computers. Right, of course oh, my do. gosh. But what I am it's seeing- It's doubled. It has doubled. Really? Carbon steel has doubled. Yeah. Our sheet steel has doubled. In, no kidding. Yeah.
0: But I'm seeing way longer lead times. Almost double. Yeah. I, I just can't, that's I can't the other get thing. it.
1: That's the and, that's and for us, like like we put motors on every chip conveyor to run the belt. Like right, we're having a hard time getting motors. So if anyone can get motors, <laughs> email me oh, okay. at nick at Yeah. That's funny. I said call, you said email. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'll do I'll do whatever. So similarly, the Dallas Federal Reserve Bank reported that manufacturing activity rose at a pace not seen since August 2018. I know. With input costs up at the fastest pace since July 2008. Do you remember how our conversations were last year? I do. It was the opposite of this. I know. Private manufacturing construction spending grew 0.3% in February, rising for the second straight month, but it's still down 10.4% year over year. We're still bouncing back.
0: I know, I know, I know. After all that good news, we're still not quite at pre-pandemic levels.
1: This last point is a perfect segue into introducing our guests. Manufacturing employment increased by 53,000 in March. Mm -hmm. This is the fastest monthly pace since September and rising for the 10th time in the past 11 months. Cool. Yeah, I know. It's hot. It's great. I love it.
0: I love it. Let's just hope it stays on track like this. So should we bring these guests in? I think so. But you know what's even better? You and I don't have to intro them. We don't. No, we don't. We're going to have our agency director, Jessica Peterson, do the formal introductions because she's involved with them, she's working with them, and she's an awfully nice
1: person as well. And she's got a voice for radio. I I have to add that. So here we go.
2: I don't know about that radio voice. However, I am so excited about today's guests. I've gotten to work with them each uh, both in very different ways, which has been really fun. They both are really, really driven people who are focused on one specific mission, diversifying and growing the manufacturing workforce and growing into what it looks like to the new culture. So a little bit about them. One of our guests is actually looking to create a new way to diversify the manufacturing workforce. He focuses on breaking down down the barriers to entry. He's been in manufacturing trades for years. He worked as a machinist, a shop manager, a scientific instrument maker. He taught trades classes, managed apprenticeship programs, everything under the sun. But now he started this amazing new mission that I'm so excited about. Our second guest is pretty familiar to most of our audience. He focuses on teaching manufacturing industry leaders how to hire the next generation of the manufacturing industry. Seems like they go together. Growing the awareness of the industry among our youth and at the forefront of training in the next generation of skilled Manufacturing leaders, I'm so excited to introduce Justin Sherman from Equity Machine Works and Andrew Crow. How are you guys doing?
3: Doing great, Jessica. Thank you.
0: Yes, welcome, guys. It's a pleasure to have you here, Andrew. Welcome back, man. Yeah. And Justin, good to have you here. And yeah. You should- In sunny, warm Chicago. What do you know?
3: Yeah, it was like 77 the second day that I came in. I know. It was quite the change. Yeah, and then it just fell off the face of
0: the earth. So now
1: it's cold cold and rainy now. That's Chicago for you.
3: Chicago wins. Yeah, baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's up, Drew? Last time West I saw road. you, it was St. Louis. We had a good time. man. Yeah, where'd we eat? Bonefish. Bonefish yeah. Was yeah. Delicious. Oh, Bonefish was was awesome. Grill. Yeah. Yeah, that place yeah, is great. We had yeah. some smoky drinks.
4: Yeah. Shout out to Cam, man. What's up, dude? Yeah, Cameron. He, <laughs> one of my sales guys was with us.
1: We had a great night. Okay, so diversity in manufacturing. We're going to dig in here. The first time we heard about this from Justin, you called us. You reached out to us about the podcast. We listened to your story. You had so many interesting things to say. We were like, man, this this guy's onto something. But at the end of the call, I looked at Jim and I said, what exactly do they do? The story was a little
0: difficult to grasp. So what we want you to do right now, Justin, is tell us again and tell our audience, the metalworking nation out there, all those people across the entire U.S., what your business model, what what was the brainchild in your head to bring this business model to fruition?
3: You know, it was really what was really kind of like a coming to fruition of my life experiences kind of combining with my experiences throughout my career. So we mentioned kind of my come up in manufacturing, the teaching, you know, trades classes, the getting into managing the pre-apprenticeship program, getting a lot of insight into educational programs, as well as like how grant funding works, some of the limitations there, some of the barriers that some grants even create on their own, even Mm -hmm. in pursuit of eliminating those barriers. And really like what has come together is what, you know, I try to like think about as like a more holistic approach to kind of dealing with diversity in manufacturing because, and and relating that to the skills gap that we all are very aware of.
1: Yeah. We just talked about it in the news, right? Yeah. Yeah. As we're booming, it's an issue. Everyone's like, "Okay, how do I fill these machines with people who can run them?" Because I yeah. got to work.
3: And the skills gap was a problem during a recession, and now we're entering a boom. Okay, and-
1: so let's stop there. I just quick question:
0: Why do we have the skills gap? Why don't young people want to get into this trade? And Andrew, I know you know the He's answer. Ch- Andrew's <laughs> chopping at the bit. I know, t- and to I know, I know you can oh, answer yeah. this question brilliantly. But I want to, I want to hear it from you, Justin. Why don't 18, 19, 20, 25-year-olds want to enter into a manufacturing career. They make good money. It's high tech. Why?
3: So, you know, there's a few different things, right? The the, the obvious one that we're all sort of aware of, the offshoring of manufacturing that happened, you know, like late 90s, early 2000s, tons of infrastructure lost. That infrastructure loss wasn't just within producing parts, but that was also within our educational systems and the ways that we train folks.
1: Yeah, we don't have shop class anymore in most schools.
3: Exactly. Aging workforce. There's people that will move from shop to shop, but like when you know this trade, you're staying in this trade.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But
3: when jobs are decreasing, well, the folks that have the skills are gonna be the ones that are staying in. So we don't have new folks entering into the yeah, job. Yeah, let me course. add to that
1: really quick. I found out from one of my customers, one a big machine tool builder out of Michigan. They told me the average age of their employees is in the 60s what the average age wow. and then i found out later from a different customer who was referencing some report i don't have it in front of me but the average machinist is in the late 50s early 60s the average so think about when people retire did you see my face yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's wow. crazy okay so th- so you listed what two or three reasons what else
3: so We've got that. So we've got a generational gap sort of issue, right? We're aware that there are definitely like communication gaps when it comes to speaking between generations. So that's certainly a Sure. Piece.
1: Like like Jim saying, uh, I'm going to call you. And I'm like, yeah, just email me. yeah, <laughs> Yeah. Text me. Send me a DM.
3: My first day on the job was the first day that I had seen a CNC machine, right? We live in a consumer culture. Everybody kind of has a consumer understanding of like, what it takes to make a product or what a product costs. But, you know, we don't really understand like, oh, if you were only ordering 20 of a part instead of, you know, 20,000, there's a huge cost difference. Big
0: disparity. And
3: the work that goes in. And so there's not a lot like while manufacturing has been such a major like heart of, you know, American industry for so long, there's not really much of a connection to like common culture. And so we don't, really know and so
1: yeah it's like it's not just a lack of desire it's a lack of awareness you know mm-hmm. I think we, we don't even know how what's in front of us got there.
0: Do do you think it's the parents? Do you think that's the parents of the kids of this generation that are not they're not saying Steve or they're not saying Andrew or they're not saying Justin. One of my co-workers' husbands is in a manufacturing career and you know he's had a pretty comfortable life. He's been with the company for decades and he's still there. Or is it the fact that people are saying, you know, I remember my uncle Joe. Yeah. He worked in a manufacturing company and he worked on the punch
1: press and he lost three of his fingers. And then, or he smelled like how I smelled yesterday. I was in a die cast aluminum place and I I got out of there and I was in like like a collared shirt and I smelled horrible. I felt bad for the person on the plane when I flew home. But I mean, do you think that's still
4: alive? Let's think about the combination of the two things that we just said. Okay, let's go. So with the jobs leaving... There's less people actually, there's less people seeing people doing these jobs, right? So we don't even know, number one, where this stuff comes from. Number two, we don't see that there's a machine that's going to a job every day to go make something that I'm going to end up buying or I'm going to end up flying in or I'm going to end up driving, right? So do you mean like...
0: As we communicate and engage as a culture that your group of friends might be in marketing, she's a graphic artist, this one is an attorney, this one is doing banking, this one's doing financial, there's not anybody out there doing Manufacturing Yes Or okay. at least
4: vocally And then there was A generation Where everybody Was doing manufacturing Right Yeah there who was Where the people That didn't have a choice To do anything else But they wanted To make good money Went into manufacturing And they had the access To be able to do it There were manufacturing Companies and big warehouses On the corners Almost everywhere That you would go Down in the major cities Right yeah, Absolutely And so a guy could go Who was illiterate Or who maybe not Be great at an actual school setting, and they could walk down the street and go become an apprentice, right? They can go join a union, they can go work for a McDonnell Douglas, which is Boeing now, and they could make a good living and elevate themselves, right? However, we don't see that, and we don't have that access anymore. Everything went out to the suburbs, or everything went overseas, right? So there was a generation where everybody had a dad, or everybody had an uncle, or everybody had grandpa grandpa that was in it, and that made the money, right? And then when it went all overseas there was that le- there was less of a visual aspect and then now that it's coming back it's like oh machinist yeah i remember grandpa joe was that but like you said he's missing three fingers Yeah, like
1: that's an that's an outdated job in, in people's minds. absolutely but
4: they don't understand that you walk into you know a machine shop and you see a dmg mori or you see a herco that looks like a spaceship or you know you're sitting at a hide and hide control the
1: dmg mori looks like it like an iphone made a machine tool man right? the way right. they designed the industrial yes, design yes. on the machine it and it looks it's good.
4: exactly what these kids are doing right now. With virtual learning, all of our kids are on iPads now. All of our kids are right there on laptops. They're doing touchscreen every day. All of their work is right there digitally. They're used to doing these things. So it seamlessly integrates into what we're doing and where we're going. We're just not. We don't have people like us that are making it more visual.
3: Increasing people opportunities for exposure.
4: Right. And then giving the access to say, hey, Walk down this street and we'll take you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We have the machines here. It's close to you or it's on a bus line. It's it's somewhere where you can access where we are. And then you can actually walk this path of making that money and, you know, getting into this industry. But we've got to show the people and we've got to give them a direct opportunity.
0: Now that we kind of understand it, we've defined it. Almost. Almost. There's two more
3: layers I want to add. But
0: then I want to get into
3: your business model
0: and yes. how you're going to utilize that issue into a business model. Yeah. So go ahead, Justin.
3: So you started listing off some jobs, like maybe your environment, you know, you've got this person, this person, this person, et cetera, et cetera, right? All right. So that's a very kind of like middle class. Those are the folks that you're kind of surrounded by. Now, folks like Andrew and myself didn't have any of those folks right. like around us, right? Like that stuff was kind of like enigmatic. That was stuff that like people disconnected to us talked about. We didn't have intrinsic understanding about that. Interesting. I yeah. grew up in Everett, Everett, Washington. I don't know if that's a familiar kind of town to you, but that's where the biggest Boeing plant in existence oh, that's Seattle. was. Yeah, well it's that, north that, of Seattle. That area. Well, even growing up in that town, like so many of us dreamed about like working in Boeing. But again, my first day on the job was the first day I'd seen a CNC machine or really even like had opportunity to even like wow consider what manufacturing was. And that speaks to sort of a major disconnect amongst like communities that are... I guess, less exposed or have less access to resources. Right. There's there's less opportunity for you to sort of see what those middle class jobs even look like. Like you want to be an engineer. How does it happen? You know, maybe some teachers at school tell you like, oh, yeah, these are the steps that you can follow. But what's that even look like? Right. It's all abstract. It's not attached to your existence. One of my personal things was at the same time
4: is that. You don't look like me, and you can tell me all day that I can be the president, I can be a CAD CAM designer, I can be an engineer, but if I don't see anybody that looks like me, being. that just sounds like what you're supposed to say. You know what I'm saying? So
1: Yeah, it's, it doesn't sound authentic and real. Like Yeah, like that's, a, a real yeah that's
4: your job. You're supposed to tell me this, and then I file it with all of the other things. Yeah, I can be an astronaut too, but I've never seen one that looks like me.
1: Yeah, just like I can be a center in the NBA at 5'8". <laughs> f- <at five>,
4: <laughs> exactly, right, right. So So it's like, man, if I don't see these things happening, or I don't see people that look like me doing it, or I go to school and you're telling me that I can do all these things, but then I go home and everybody that looks like me, even the people that did good in school, are working at Family Dollar, or they're working at you know a liquor store or they're working at you know the things that are around us and that are accessible so we don't actually you know buy into that dream or you know we might buy into that dream and we might try really hard at school and then these opportunities that we should have are not available to us either because we can't afford them or we can't reach them you know what i'm saying so it's like you know at that point we get jaded and then and then within the community because the world is so small now and because of social media and all of these Uh things the word gets out, hey, yeah, you know, they're going to they're gonna give you the runaround and tell you you can be this or that. And then yeah. you're going to try and then you're not going to do it. So don't even waste your time. Get away from that. Don't even go into that industry. You're going to set yourself up for
3: failure. Right. So, and this is sort of the perfect lead-in to sort of like the last point when we're talking about the skills gap and and how we're going to really solve that like within today's context, which leads into diversity because poverty and diversity are very intertwined. Right. So, you know, a lot of like the, the worst stigmas that have come out, about diverse populations are really sort of like born from poverty conditions and sort of behaviors that exist within poverty and then get extrapolated to then be generalizing about entire communities that really just have lack of resources, lack of support systems, lack of opportunity, lack of exposure, right? I could grow up in Everett right next to the Boeing plant drive by it every day as a teenager dang near and have no idea what it even looked like on the inside and you didn't
1: you had no you had no idea that happened right yeah so it sounds to me like like manufacturing really needs a rebrand manufacturing needs to know how to communicate their brand yes and just like when you first called us and you were telling us about hey i got this machine shop with a mission and we loved everything you had to say like oh, you your mission's like Drew's mission, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we believe this, yeah, but we're trying to understand. By the time you're done, like, what is, what exactly is that differentiator? And so when we're like a marketing agency at making chips, uh-huh. right? And we're and we're four manufacturers. We're yeah. Our, the name of our business is making chips. When that's the diagnosis, um, mm-hmm. awesome mission. Hard time communicating what it is. Yeah. Then the, then the prescription is story brand.
3: It's that's right. So we're yeah. a
1: certified story brand agency. And Jess, who I'm going to bring in here in a second, is a certified StoryBrand consultant. So her job is to help you make a clear message that people can understand so that when you speak about what you're passionate about, they're listening and they understand the value in it. So I'm going to bring Jess in here for a second and just have her explain a little bit about what StoryBrand is.
4: Are
0: we going to rebrand manufacturing?
2: Jim, I'm pretty sure that's what you've been doing for the last 10 years, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Serious? Well, we're, yeah. we're trying. <laughs> we're, we're doing it in our own ways, yes. You
2: really are, but I, I was actually just talking with Andrew earlier as well, and he said that he was listening in on your first episodes. Oh, and no. You, yes, <laughs> and you guys actually, you know, he saw you guys and he knew these guys are going to do something because he saw you were doing something different. So rebranding manufacturing is kind of your thing, but it's no surprise. So- Immediately, as we just said, manufacturing needs a rebrand. Marketing is my thing. And as Nick told you guys, I'm a Storybride certified guide. So what happened was Justin came in and he was talking about all the cool stuff he was doing. And I was super excited. I think we both were. Our first chat lasted for at least an hour, right? That's about how long it was.
3: I would say at least that long. Yeah. yeah I mean, usually that's that long. how long it takes for me to stop talking. So <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> That's okay. I I have the same problem.
2: uh, Justin can now explain what he does in under five minutes. And that's not due to anything changing within his business model. It's just by clarifying his message. And I think that's where people get confused with StoryBrand. They hear that and they're like, oh, that's this big business that's happening right now. But all it's doing is taking the information that you already know in your head and just putting it down to create a clear message. The main thing that I want you all to take away from StoryBrand from listening to this today is that you guys are the guide in your your story, not the hero. The people that you interact with are the heroes. They're who you're setting up and your messaging needs to say that. On top of that, it's always better to be clear than to be clever. And I think that was something that Justin had from the get-go. He never addressed fancy words and things like that. He said what it was. It was barriers to entry. That's what he's addressing. He's taking this holistic approach to his business, working with community programs, other manufacturers, even education and training. Like, And he's doing it in this huge way where he also gets to offer these people employment opportunities. And so to me, StoryBrand was the perfect fit because you kind of already knew what you did and you just needed a very concise way to show that. And specifically, you wanted to redo your website as well to showcase really what you do. And I think what we achieved through StoryBrand was that your message isn't specific to the people you're talking to anymore. Everyone reads that message and knows that you work with everyone, right? Like those are the people you work for. It's very clear on your website now, which we're about to launch. So excited for. By the time you guys listen to this podcast, it will be up. So go check it out. Equity works so fun. But yeah. So tell me a little bit about that experience. How, you know, how did you choose to come to making chips to help for this?
3: Yeah. So, you know, thinking about the business model that this is, but really, you know, the business model sort of exists as a vehicle to serve, essentially. But, you know, we were talking, you know, just a few moments ago about some of the layers of complexity. I mean, that that one conversation could last a couple of episodes, really, to just dig through all of it. And that was a problem that I was pretty consistently having is, you know, I I had this tendency to try to paint too detailed of a picture and not really be able to kind of See myself as much as I'd want to as I'm going through this and really needed to figure out a way to make my messaging more concise so that it was quicker, more easily understood. I wasn't losing folks with too much nuance, particularly if it was too detached from their own experiences. And you really helped. And, you know, working with other marketing groups is a a challenge. I think, you know, manufacturing, you know, we're, I mean, we're here at making chips. We're talking about rebranding manufacturing. Manufacturing has a diversity problem, but it also has a communication problem. If you go look at the websites for most manufacturing industries, they might have a landing page that's kind of poorly. If they have a website.
2: If they even have a website. If they
0: don't, if they don't have a website, they better, they better hang it up.
2: I would like everyone on this manufacturing podcast to know that I came from a web development agency before I was at Making Chips. And I do have some previous manufacturing experience, but it was night and day. And it's not that manufacturers don't value marketing, because they always have and they always will. It's just that there is this extreme disconnect where manufacturers aren't quite sure what they want or need, and it's vice versa. And I think that leads into manufacturing's rebranding as a problem, right? Mm -hmm. People don't see these places as tech-focused and clean, because when I think manufacturing... That's not what I thought either.
4: Let's be <laughs> honest like if you if you really want to take a manufacturing situation to the next level and reach manufacturers in the industry this is the platform. This is where you go. There's a lot of marketers that have been popping up that have no idea about actual manufacturing. They have no idea about industrial anything. So they'll come and they'll give you those cookie cutters, same you know products that they're selling everybody else. That might work other places. What's
0: your call to action?
4: Right, but here, <laughs> but here, if you remember, really I told want... you that story, Drew, about the LAV? Yes, the lab. so I had and a marketing agency, like, I got to
3: hear you, that you story to, earlier.
1: Yeah, you need to start using the the keyword lath for the work holding that you make because a lot of people are searching lath and I was like what what are you talking man and there's what an is a yes she, she meant to say lathe right and I don't even I make like milling machine fixtures so I was that was my even aha moment.
4: right and the, and we're running into that right and the, the manufacturing industry I feel like has been being approached by marketers that are not manufacturing focused right. marketers or guys like you that come from the industry, you know, years and generations of it so you understand the industry and you could say, "Hey, this is who you need to reach. This is going to give you the best return." That's the difference right?
3: of br- making so, chips bring.
1: Equity Machine Works. Are you a machine shop?
3: Yes and
1: Okay. Yes and. Okay. Not yes and no. So so tell me what's different about your shop than maybe a car, machine, and tool, because it's this machine shop with a mission.
0: Just to get straight, this is what you and Jessica have already worked on as far as messaging
3: yeah. Okay. So equi- okay, I'm gonna good. go through, you'll get a, a view of the product that making chips kind of provides and nice. helping kind of make this make this messaging a little bit more concise. And okay. then I'm gonna spend a moment kind of talking a little bit about the business model a little bit more in depth. But let's cool. talk about let's talk about this. So as as job creators and suppliers, we know that you want to address the skills and diversity gap within manufacturing. In order to do that, you need to be connected with a partner and the surrounding community that understands manufacturing with a passion for solving equity issues and an eye for root causes. We believe that manufacturing careers should be accessible to anyone wanting to pursue them. We understand what manufacturers are looking for in future employment and their need to adapt to a changing world while also recognizing the lack of diversity within the field. The underlying issues and systems acting as barriers to entry within the field are myriad, complex, and beyond the capabilities of any one organization to handle alone. It takes a community. Mm -hmm. This is why, beyond our manufacturing consulting services, we focus on creating that community by partnering with outreach and support programs, pre-apprenticeship and apprenticeship programs, industry organizations, and local government to help fill the employment gap and address underlying equity issues that act as barriers to entry within the field. So here's how we do it. Addressing the barriers. We partner with established public and privately funded community programs to address the root cause of issues that limit outcomes, subsidize gaps where possible, and provide employment paths to disadvantaged people interested in working in manufacturing. Pre-apprenticeship plus employment training. Our organization works with grant-funded training programs to teach future manufacturers the hard and soft skills they need to enter the industry Mm. and begin rewarding careers.
0: Very important.
3: Get hired on. When there's available space in our program, select individuals completing their pre-apprenticeship training, join the Equity Machine Works team. Upon hire, they will become registered apprenticeships and begin our one-year structured OJT program, learning the trade while making parts. After completing, Equity Machine Works SPC along with our recruitment and industry partners, provide the now qualified and experienced individuals with job placement services at DEI-committed organizations, and then culturally competent consulting. So companies are looking to make a difference, not just in addressing the impacts of the skills gap within the organization, but also to make meaningful changes in creating more inclusive work culture. Equity Machine Works can serve as a guiding partner in training both staff and leadership on DEI, establishing inclusive policies, creating internal training programs, and setting companies up for long-term success in a rapidly changing market. Connect with us to make an impact and help bridge the gap in manufacturing employment. Stop struggling to fill seats and start building our communities by making the industry's workforce stronger than ever. That's great.
4: Doesn't that fire you up, man?
0: Like, yo. It's a mission. It's really mission-based. I mean, more than anything, definitely to work with you I feel like there's so much more added value. That's what, that's what I'm feeling right now. That's yeah. the emotion that w- when you just, I was listening, and I feel like that if I was the person that was going to send you work, I'd really feel like I'm adding to the community. And that's it. I mean,
3: you're not I a customer. You're a customer never, supporter. You're a part of this community.
0: I've never understood it more than right now when you just dis- explained it like that. So the messaging is working.
3: Yeah, it is. It's, it's great. And so, like, let's let's dig in a little bit to what this what this business model actually looks yeah, like. Yeah, so tell
1: me, like, okay, so this is a black and white, prove it industry, right? Show me. Yeah. Show me. So, and I, I think everyone can get on board with, like, we want w- more women. We want more minorities. We want more people attracted to this industry. We need people. Mm-hmm. We need talented people. We don't care what gender they are. We don't care what color they yeah. are. I need someone to run my five-axis machine, you know? Honestly. I mean,
3: I've seen companies take the step of, we want to do more DEI hiring, we put out job recs and unfortunately we're not getting any DEI applicants. And then, you know, hands up, right? We now, there's not really much we can do. We tried our best. Right? And, and I feel like there's on another
4: side and, and this kind of sucks, we're in cancel culture. So it's so scary for companies to have the right ideas, have the budget, have the right, you know, intentions and then mess it up. Because if you mess it up, cancel culture is going to say this company's bad, you know, but when you find Ooh, that's people an interesting angle It's tough yeah. cuz mm-hmm. I I sit on the I sit in these boardrooms with these people are like, "Yo, Drew, we want to fix it." but we're so scared we don't want to take the wrong step with the right intentions
0: it's, I, I tell you it, it is tough being a small business owner
4: I, it, you try to do the right thing but
0: you don't all, want to walk
1: yeah. on eggshells and feel like oh man what if i say the wrong thing right wrong right thing but so just, so, think just,
4: so think about it like this think about how easy he's making it for you sure. Right. so this is the solution that the industry needs right now because like you said not only do we want these things we need these things for our industry to keep going forward. right, right? yes so so when when you have you know know, in Equity Machine Works, you know, or in Elevate, like I got, we have people that are saying outsource the whole situation so we know what works. So how do we bring it back, right? What if we, what, think about this. This is my classroom right now. I got kids from, you know, Bumble F Egypt. That, that, You know, have two stoplights. I've never been to station. Bubble F Egypt. People. I'll take you, right? Okay, right? So, so, I've got, t- kids, and then I've got you. the kids that live in, you know, the 16th floor of a project building, and it's seven of them, and they're four generations deep. But those two guys are best friends, right. right? Because you put two guys in a machine shop, give them tight tolerances and a blueprint, and it's something that has to be done by the end of the day, and it's going to take four setups. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you look like. I don't care. None of that stuff. But we're going to use our experiences in our past to figure this out as a team together. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of individuality in the shop because we work on things on a a machine by ourselves. But when we got to pass something around, we got a common goal. You're in a machine shop. You're using your brain. It's like, remember the Titans when they took those guys and put them on the football team? Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, bro. American manufacturing is going to heal the world. I believe that 100%. But- What other better way than to put people in the shirt? You got kids, right? When my kids get in trouble and they get into it with each other, they got to wear a shirt together. You know what I'm saying? In the same shirt. Same, yes, (laughs) same shirt. One of my shirts, I put them both in the shirt. And they're forced Wait, you put to both along. the kids in the same shirt? Oh, yeah. One oh, shirt, yeah. two kids? Yeah, okay. yeah, man. So, one shirt, So, that they learn how to so they're stuck. And you guys <laughs> got to figure it out or figure out how to get along one way or the other. And it works every time. That's awesome. American manufacturing is the shirt. Throw them in the shop.
1: So me and my wrestler brothers, that may not have. I don't, I don't know if the shirt could have contained. <laughs> contained. Yeah, right, right.
3: I want to kind of bring it back because, you know, we obviously, this is all really important stuff to talk about. And I'm, I'm glad we took the extra time to do it. But, you know, we started with what's the Equity Machine Works business model? Model we we got into this and and talked about it quite a bit but you know I want to I want to talk about what the business model looks like why it matters you know one of the things I hope to do is to you know someday help other businesses do something similar again you know it's it's going to take a community to do this sort of thing and and the more of us doing it the uh, the better
1: when I think business model I think you have a cost structure and you have di- different revenue streams and you hope that the revenue you generate is more than what what it costs right and then you you made a profit so are you a for profit do you do you make parts? Do you have some sort of non-for-profit element to it? What exactly is the model?
3: Yes. So super great question. You know, one of the things that, you know, we learn in manufacturing, you know, sort of key principles like lean lean manufacturing, making efficient processes, looking at the system and making sure that, you know, all the gaps are filled, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, Equity Machine Works is born on this idea of not just looking at the manufacturing enterprise itself, but the rest of the, rest of the pipeline, you know. So I were engaged with outreach organizations. And that's why we go all the way to placement. It sounds sure like it's
0: mostly it. workforce-based though, no?
3: No. Okay. So okay. there's a lot to it, but the core revenue stream is the machine shop, right? So making parts, parts that the students are learning while they're making. You have well-controlled processes. So students can make those parts, but also make sure that you know, your, your outputs are to Good. tolerance and, yeah. and to tolerance and all conforming, right?
1: And then you're using some of the community stuff to offset the cost then. So you're getting maybe working with organizations like what Drew does to bring in talent or... And ex-
3: exactly, I mean, you, we don't need to recreate the wheel, right? So, you know, outreach orgs are already doing a lot of that work and, and they're getting funded and they need places for, you know, folks to kind of move into, So like right? one of
1: Drew's students graduates, they go work for Equity Machine Works, the The customer of Equity Machine Works is a company that's going to value who's making the part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That, I get it now. Yeah,
0: and it's mostly going to be your big major OEMs that are going to want to do that. I don't know. I'm just... I you know, I am thinking your business model and I'm thinking who's who's gonna be your customer base. Is that what you're yeah, So, thinking You know, a,
3: a larger OEM as a customer is gonna be generally like more attractive. Brands,
0: the major brands are gonna be They'll be able to
3: you know provide sustainable work, you know, yes. low to mid complexity right. so that we can kind of you know stick with that, you know, eventually like down the line as you know our, our workforce becomes more skilled, you know, there's definitely intent to get into more like explorative, like high complexity prototyping work. But you know, that low to mid-complexity stuff is good to focus on, get your processes kind of put together. And, you know, the money that you're making to from making those parts supports the programs, supports the subsidized services, because again, grant funded programs aren't sustainable, right? A lot of the programs that, you know, I was a part of like the pre-apprenticeship programs, the grants were cohort based. So after that group finished, there wasn't any more money unless they, you know, agreed to create a new contract and continue that on. Sure. And what we need are sustainable programs. And so the social enterprise model is is kind of the way to do that. You asked about whether or not we we're a nonprofit or a for-profit company. So we're registering as, registered as an SPC in Washington State. That is a social purpose corporation. That provides certain legal status sort of attached, you know, it's kind of directors and fiduciary responsibility In relation to pursuit of the core mission, but also, you know, we have intent to become a majority employee owned organization because wealth building opportunities for folks coming out of poverty are really limited. And so this is going to be sort of a way to do that, but also show other organizations, whether that might be a startup that's looking to do something similar in a different industry, or maybe that's an existing business that's looking to just change the way they do things because they see this as a, as, as a great way to kind of integrate into the community, become supportive because in a system like this, literally everybody wins and you can build a profitable organization mm-hmm. and still do all of this work as well. Th-
0: this is personal,
3: isn't it, Justin?
0: This mission you're on. I think it is. I, I'm feeling it is. And I feel it's your passion. I think that you just, you want to do it because it's personal.
3: Yeah, I, it, it is. And so, yeah, you know, it's- Yeah, tell me about that. I guess, you know, that's- that's an interesting background. I think you know, I need <laughs> I need a lot more of your time to really get into like all of the reasons. But um, but you know, it, it is personal to me. I mean, growing up, you know in in an environment where you know I talked about like not even really knowing about manufacturing, right? Like you know, how do you become an engineer? How do you become a doctor? Right? We have these like high aspirations to like do these things, but you know, when we're kids and we're saying that stuff, we don't even really know what that means particularly if you don't have good examples of that, like in your surroundings, right? And moving up, getting into trade teaching, particularly the pre-apprenticeship side. So the pre-apprenticeship program was targeting dislocated workers and out-of-school youth, right? So vulnerable populations and that additional exposure to not just the stuff that I had within my own life, but seeing what was really a very diverse group who had a bunch of differences, You know, some folks like some folks coming in with graduate degrees, literally, that were dislocated workers and some folks that, you know, maybe had dropped out of school in second grade and seeing the challenges that each of them face individually and recognizing that there there are so many barriers that like so many programs don't really do a great job of addressing and and grant programs being unsustainable and oftentimes inefficient.
1: So your business takes all these inefficiencies, all those that you listed and and you make it easier for the grant to do what the grant was meant to do
3: essentially. So there will be services that we're subsidizing on our own, but this is again the community thing. Not any like no one organization can do it all and we're not trying to. It's connecting everybody. So so filling in all those gaps. Exactly, sure. right? So Take out your, your your lean, your Kaizen mind, like jump into it, you know, find out like, all right, look at the system overall, where are the gaps and let's find solutions. And there's already solution providers out there. Build the community, right? And anybody can be a part of that community and anybody can do the same thing. And then, you know, getting the hireable skills, making sure that we're working with the EI committed organizations, getting placement out there, skills gap, huge issue, creates a lot of opportunity for folks, right? And so now we're creating a ton of opportunity, increasing diversification within The manufacturing industry, helping shift culture, create more understanding, getting commitments from you know customer supporters who want a hiring stream because I mean truth is we're all going to need folks to hire and. It's really hard out there to find folks, and so you know we're all desperate and we're trying to do stuff. And you know we'll we'll brag like like Jim when we find a machinist to hire. You know it's pretty exciting. It is,
4: it is, especially
3: when they stay too,
4: right? Yeah, they
0: do, right? They do exactly because I must be doing you know I must be doing something right if they're staying, right?
4: Yes, because a lot of places have that issue where they say you know we're bringing people in, they're staying for ninety days, they're getting trained, they're getting some checks, and then they're gone, you know, right? that is part of why what Equity Machine Works is doing is so important, because it costs a lot to have these people here for 90 days. Oh, my God. You know what yes. I'm saying? The onboarding process like, onboarding is expensive. Onboarding and then firing and then onboarding again, finding somebody else, right? So, you know what? It's tiring, too. It's yes,
0: exhausting. Yes. It takes a lot of energy. Yeah. yeah,
3: absolutely. So circling it back to messaging so that, you know, we can kind of get back on track, I think, you know... This is really, you know, we talked about a lot of, a lot of ideas here and there's a lot of complexity, a lot of depth. It's a
0: very complex thing.
3: We could probably easily spend just like 10 episodes just digging through absolutely everything. But, you know, this is something that again, you know, making chips help provide a lot of value to to equity machine works and developing a more concise message, which, you know, y'all heard it earlier, but we kind of jumped into, jumped into a lot more serious and uh, in-depth conversation, but it was really really great to to work with them in the sense that, you know, they're in manufacturing, they understand it, they understand the audience. Jessica is fabulous. She gets all of what we're doing here with Equity Machine Works and 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 so much more and has been a great help in pulling this all together for us. And so you know, I'm excited again.
1: to see the new website, man. I'm excited to see yeah. everything you just talked about on the page on the screen. Because I remember I remember looking even after we talked, looking at the site that you had before, and it was like, man, that guy's awesome. I still don't really get the model. Yeah. And uh, Jess showed me some concepts of the new site, and it's like, yeah, pe- people are going to spend you know, five minutes on this page and they're going to be like, I get it. I want to call him.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Y'all have been great. Yeah. And, you know, Andrew, like, clearly, you know, he had his Making It Chips episode before. I mean, this was... You know, a, a huge thing working with y'all for bringing some exposure to what, what he's been doing. Y'all were how I got exposed to Andrew. And then...
1: Yeah, it's cool that you guys became friends. That's what we're about. Oh, we're, I love it. Just yeah. like you're about a community wow. where we're
3: a slightly different community, but they overlap. I was like, I need I need to connect with that guy someday. But I was like, you know, I need to wait until like Moore's together. You know, I don't want him to like... Because he's so great to judge me, you know, when <laughs> when we first start talking, and uh, it was he was actually about a month and a half later the the one to reach out to me, and it was well, it was the
1: exciting. community and, will help you iron out the wrinkles, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's the point that this is about equipping and inspiring the manufacturing leader. You two are up and coming manufacturing leaders. It's exciting. Appreciate you being on the show. At the end of the day, if you can't bring a community together you're not making chips
4: yeah
0: and if you're not making chips, you're not making money
1: bam
4: metalworking nation listen up manufacturing is challenging you need to think differently the day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies the pressure to grow customer demands workforce development new machine tools and robots the list goes on and on It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips.
0: Did you think we were cool when you met us?
2: Okay, to be clear, yeah. I always thought you were cool. <laughs> <laughs> I had to
0: get it. <laughs> You said th- you said the right answer. That's fashionable nowadays. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know.
4: It's just popping again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>